wanted to talk uh, today about the Alzheimer's and dementia. I know that in a couple months we'll be uh, celebrating mental health awareness and whatnot, but wanted to get a jump start to find out about um, your take on and treatment for Alzheimer's and dementia. Well, our current medical approach, what's the medical word, dismal. Um, first of all, just to start with, um, 30 to 50% of people diagnosed with Alzheimer's on autopsy turned out never to have it, never to have had the slightest bit of Alzheimer's, which means they're misdiagnosed, um, which also means that they, what is being called Alzheimer's, is actually dementia caused by something else, often totally, totally treatable, if they had only gone ahead and looked at it. So we're looking at 5 million Americans diagnosed with Alzheimer's, um, 10 million with dementia, um, half of those diagnosed with Alzheimer's not having it, and frankly, most of the people with Alzheimer's or dementia having reversible problems that are just absolutely not looked for, totally missed, uh, because what do doctors do? We take two, I don't want to say useless medications, let me say not very helpful medications, or the medications don't improve cognitive function, they just slow down the progression a little bit to eke out statistical significance instead of doing things that could actually, in many cases, reverse the disease. So we're going to talk today about how to thrive despite a healthcare system that really is, oh, let's just say troubled. <laughs> It says here that about 3.5 million people have vascular dementia caused by poor circulation to the brain and strokes, and then another 2.4 million have Alzheimer's. Now, explain the difference between the two. Well, in Alzheimer's, it's basically a disease where there are these uh, amyloid and tau plaques and tangles um, in the brain where the brain cells, uh, at least some of the major ones, are unable to take up sugar. Um, so they basically starve and they don't function. It's a, it's a specific pathophysiology. Uh, dementia, and that's about 5 million Americans, so we're looking at about 16 million by the year 2050. Um, and then, uh, and there's many causes of decreased cognitive function, any of which can cause dementia. So Alzheimer's is one cause of dementia. Uh, multi-infarct dementia, which is where there's numerous little mini strokes. Uh, each of which takes out a tiny part of the brain, and after a while they add up. And, and those, that's the three-and-a-half million number, and that's another of many causes of dementia. Um, in those cases, though, what you're usually going to see is a stepwise progression. So where Alzheimer's tends to kind of flow in and waxes and wanes, but there's not specific things like, well, April 10th, you know, she took a big drop down. Mm -hmm. um, where with the mini strokes, you'll see this kind of stepwise thing, and you'll notice, well, gee, she's suddenly much worse than she had been. And then that'll be at that level, and then a couple months later, maybe another drop. Um, in those cases, simply taking an aspirin a day can have a pretty marked effect. Now, as you noted, though, 30 to 50% of people diagnosed with Alzheimer's never had it. They had other things. And um, even those with Alzheimer's, they often will also have multiple infarcts or multi-infarct dementia as well. So it's not a single thing. It's rather multiple insults to the brain that finally bring cognitive function down to the point where people can't, you know, often recognize their kids. And here's an important point to listeners, Sabrina. The, with most organs, say 
somebody you're looking at kidney function issues as a analogy, you can take out a whole kidney and give it to somebody and never notice it. You can lose maybe a quarter of the other kidney you have left and still never notice it. And suddenly, that last 5 to 10% loss of function, and you're finding yourself on dialysis. So it's when you see organ failure, whether it's heart, lung, kidney, and even brain, um, it's that last few percent that makes a major difference because the body can adapt losing even half of the function sometimes. Um, and the brain is no different. We can lose a large amount of function, and but that last 5% difference is the difference between being able to take care of yourself versus not recognizing your kids. Now, that means that in somebody who has dementia, if you simply tune up the brain to improve cognitive function, tune it up by 5%, they may go back to being able to take care of themselves again. And that's what we, we're going to be talking about today, is how to do a brain tune-up. So whether you have Alzheimer's or whether you have dementia of any cause, um, doing a simple brain tune-up, well, may help you get your mind back. Wow. Well, there's so many different um, uh, things that you say cause the mind to, well, do what it does. What are some of the top reasons why people may have cognitive uh you know, dysfunction. Well, it's an interesting thing because there's numerous studies showing that a whole host of problems, for example, low vitamin B12, low folate, um, can go ahead and increase the risk of dementia markedly. Uh, thyroid problems um, can markedly affect dementia. Um, you'll see when thyroid function, uh, problems can increase the risk of dementia by 800 plus percent. Um, in men, low testosterone, even in the normal range, um, they've actually graphed out how each X amount of drop in testosterone causes a Y increase in dementia. So it's many things will do that. Now, Sabrina Marie, you've had times when you've had a cold and things like that, and you mm-hmm. found that your brain felt pretty muggy, you know, just kind of fuzzy. Now, our brains work well enough that being a little bit fuzzy, we can still make it through the day and do okay. But we wouldn't want to have had to be at our top game. Well, if somebody's right on that edge of dementia, and with just that 5 to 10% making the difference, if you have a hidden infection, that's going to make a big difference. And it's really sad. I still remember, in, in, even in, in medical school and residency, if somebody came in uh, in their 70s and 80s who was demented who had a rip-roaring bladder infection, um, as long as they didn't complain of burning, we called it an asymptomatic infection. It meant, oh, it's no problem. We can ignore it. No. <laughs> mm. That infection mm. may be enough to drive their brain over the edge. Mm-hmm. Um, and these things need to be looked for and treated. So we do what we call the MIND protocol, M-I-N-D, and that's metabolism, which is essentially optimizing hormones. Infections, all infections, even uh, ones that normally aren't looked for, like a sinusitis or candida overgrowth in the gut and sinuses or bladder infections. Um, you know, there's... How do you tell if you have candida? Well, people either will have <coughs> post-nasal drip kind of thing. Mm. We have the image on TV shows of that. Or they have a lot of gas and bloating. And there's a reason sometimes why we use the term old fart. It's, you know, when you have a lot of winds, 
there's usually something making it. It's either poor digestion or infections. Um, so the when you treat these underlying infections, they all take a load off the brain. Um, and as nutritional and herbal support um, can have a dramatic effect. We'll go through that. And then D in the mind protocol is drugs. And we're not talking about giving drugs or getting people off of the unneeded medications. And why do we start with that? Because what you'll often see in many of the elderly, um, and it's funny how the elderly, my definition keeps going down up to be 15 years older than I am at any given time. Um, <laughs> oh, so, yeah, you know, it's, uh, but many of them are on 10, 15 different medications. And the funny thing is that most of them are no longer needed. Uh, these are things that they accumulated over the decades. And as a physician with the average six-minute doctor visit, it's really easy to add a medication. It takes 30 seconds right out of prescription. person's out the door. The family and the person felt like they've done something and on to the next person. But it takes time to stop a medication, uh, especially if you're not the one who wrote it. I mean, the doctor who wrote it may have been long dead. Um, you have to take the time to figure out why were they put on it. Um, to take the person off and to monitor it and make sure they don't need it anymore. Um, you know, there's all these different things. So most of the time, doctors never bother to take the time to look at the person and say, you know, you're on a lot of stuff. Let's see if you really need all of these and to get them off. And it's not uncommon that what we had called Alzheimer's turns out to be a side effect of any of a number of medications or their combinations. And when you get people off of the unneeded medications, their so-called Alzheimer's goes away. Wow. Now, underlying physical issues, uh, people who have different conditions, how important is it to, number one, get those conditions under control, and then how much of those preexisting conditions can mimic uh, any men, uh, cognizant uh, function, uh, you know, whether it be Alzheimer's, dementia, anxiety, whatever. There's so many that can do that, Sabrina Marie. It's just, it's a remarkable thing. And even though we simplified it with a mind protocol, you know, going back to the M again, that also is mental or mood. So anxiety and depression can go ahead and mimic uh, Alzheimer's and dementia and certainly aggravate it. Uh, now, a lot of the medications use for these will aggravate the problem. Um, it's considered a national scandal um, how antipsychotic medications are the fastest number one growing family of medications uh, in this country because we're giving it to the elderly. Any mood problem, put them on antipsychotic. Put them on high-dose Valium. And kids with ADD or autism, put them on antipsychotic. It's a, it's, it's a national disgrace. Um, and even in standard medical journals, there are articles coming out saying, what are we doing? It's insane. Mm. It's, it's toxic. It's horrible. Um, and I, I understand, you know, you're a busy nurse in a nursing home, and the, the, the Alzheimer's in bed seven is, you know, is sitting there trying to climb out of bed and pulling out her Foley catheter and, and the rest, and it's like, yeah, let's sedate her to while she's not going to wake up again. Yeah, I got I got meds to pass. I don't have. To, you know, I call the doctor at three in the morning instead of climbing out of bed. You know, and give her some help, all you know. You know, and we wonder why they're in the ozone. So it's it's just really 
you know, getting people off the medications uh, is important, but at the same time, you need to treat anxiety and depression. So what do you do? Well, there's a nice simple thing. Um, there's a recent study, and you can get two birds with one stone, showing that a special herb called curcumin, so it makes Indian food yellow, has enormous health benefits. It's been shown in combination with Boswellia to be more effective for pain than Celebrex. Um, it's been shown in two recent studies to be more effective for severe depression than the antidepressant medications. And it's been shown uh, in India that they have 70% lower prevalence of uh, Alzheimer's. Uh, basically, Alzheimer's is one-third as frequent there, roughly, as it is here, even less. Um, and that's been attributed to the curcumin in the diet. Now, you'd have to eat an awful lot of curry in the United States to get that. And most curcumin products are poorly absorbed. So this is one of the cases where brand matters. Um, but if you give, and we're actually in the study that we're doing now, this is one of about a dozen treatments in the study. Uh, that we're giving something called Curamed. If you have somebody with Alzheimer's or dementia or you're starting to see a slipping yourself, write this down. It's C-U-R-A. MED, 750 milligrams, one twice a day. And in the studies, after six weeks, it was more helpful for depression, and it can be taken with the antidepressants too. Um, they did that in another study, they combined it, um, than the antidepressants themselves. And instead of side effects, like worsening dementia, you get side benefits, like a clearer mind, uh, less pain. So, um, so when it comes to depression, that's a very good way to go. When it comes to anxiety, um, the herb lavender is very helpful. And you can have lavender flowers around the house, um, even dried lavender. will put off the scent because the smell of lavender is calming. Uh, so I see all these fields of lavender in France as you go through. Um, you can take lavender oil and, and spray a couple drops on the pillow at bedtime. Uh, I actually, the nice thing about having a mustache is I just put a drop of lavender oil on, on below my nose and the mustache holds it right there in place when I go to bed. Um, so simple things help sleep um, and help anxiety um, for poor sleep because poor sleep will aggravate Alzheimer's and dementia. But most of the sleeping pills make the dementia worse. So wow. what do you do? Melatonin. One half milligram. The lavender again helps sleep. Uh, there's a mix of herbs called the revitalizing sleep formula. That's a nice simple thing that you do. Uh, that is, uh, is very helpful for sleep. There's two at bedtime. So nice natural simple things you can do that won't leave the mind fuzzy. We in the country have a sad uh, diet where we have these nutritional deficiencies. And then, of course, everybody's body and their makeup is different. Some people need more nutrients than others. But between our nutritional deficiencies and inactivity, don't you think that makes uh, mind function worse amongst everyone? Oh, God, yes. <laughs> you got to give the brain what it needs. But let's take a look at some of the key nutrients. Uh, number one, what is the brain made of? Most of the brain is made of an oil called, well, oil and water is a big part of the whole body. And then if you look at the non-water part, it's made of an essential oil called DHA. That's an omega-3, which comes from fish. 
mm-hmm. and uh, the American diet has lost most of the omega-3s. Over half the omega-3s have been lost over the last century. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is why we see postpartum depression. If you give uh, omega-3 during pregnancy, you drop postpartum depression by half. And in Alzheimer's, if the brain, if you want the brain to function, it needs the DHA. Now, the nice thing is you don't need the oil in the fish oil. Uh, the Most of the oil part is just like soybean oil. It's the part that goes rancid and carries the mercury and other toxins. So this is another one that brand matters. Uh, all you need are the omega-3s. And you want them to be bioidentical so they're absorbed and more effective. Uh, the only brand that I use is one called Fect Omega, uh, where all you have to do is take one or two pills a day instead of eight to 16 of most fish oil capsules. So what you're looking to do is you really got to simplify it for people. So I'll have people take the Curamed 750s, one twice a day, Vectomega, one or two a day. Um, and then in terms of which vitamins and minerals you need, the answer is all of them. <laughs> <laughs> the B vitamins, B12, folate, these are most important, followed by magnesium. Um, but you really need all of them. And you don't want to take handfuls of pills all day. It's just not especially you know, even without the Alzheimer's. Um, but there's a nice, simple... Um, a vitamin powder called the Energy Revitalization System, mm-hmm. where you take one drink a day. And so that's part of the recipe in the study we're doing, giving the Energy Revitalization System vitamin powder. And then two things for energy, because the Alzheimer's does represent an energy crisis in the brain. Number one will be coenzyme Q10, 200 milligrams. And then the other, and a very, I think, promising one, is called ribose, R-I-B-O-S-E. Uh, because that, to me, is a key antidote for a human energy crisis. And so the ribose, um, you give the five grams three times a day for three to six weeks, and then it drops down to twice a day, morning and noontime. It looks and tastes like sugar, so it's easy to just throw it in the person's food. Hmm. You can put it in their tea, in their coffee, you can put it on their cereal. It looks and tastes like sugar, so it's a nice, easy one. So what you have is a regimen that becomes fairly straightforward for nutrition, where you mix a vitamin powder, you throw a scoop of ribose in, so you've got one simple drink, you wash down a Vectomega, the Curamed, and the coenzyme Q10, and you're good to go. Now, people say CoQ10, and now we hear ubiquinol is better. Which one do you prefer? I'm starting to move to the ubiquinol. Uh, for most of the last couple of years, the cost, the added cost, I don't think... Um, outweigh the benefits in terms of absorption. Um, but now as the costs are coming down for the ubiquinol, um, I'm starting to shift to it. So the bottom line is for most people, as long as you take the coenzyme Q10 with some oil, and it can be a mixed natural to softball, you can take it with breakfast, you know, just any little bit of oil will do the job. Um, it's fine. Or you do ubiquinol. And uh it's kind of like, you know, which pair of shoes do you like better if you have two two pairs that are pretty similar. Yeah, pick one. I also wanted to ask, because you're mentioning that the brain is made up of DHA, or not, or say DHA, not DHA, DHA and EPA. Um, well, what not about, made of EPA. It's made of not, DHA. It's not made of EPA, but DHA. Mm-hmm. Now, um Vitamin D, how important is that in overall health and the brain? Oh, critical. 
<laughs> people tease that uh, that Linus Pauling was close. He just missed it by one letter. You know that it was the vitamin D and not the vitamin C that's the biggie. Um, you know, I, I remember when I was a kid, my mom would take me to the um, Museum of Natural Health, Natural History, and we'd have all these exhibits. And uh, one of the exhibits I remember as a little kid, as a little boy, was there was a skull and it had a hole cut in it. And it said, well, the Aztec medicine men would cut holes out of the skulls to let the evil spirits escape. And I would, as a seven-year-old, I was going, oh, Mommy, weren't they silly, ha-ha, silly Aztecs, you know. Um, and, you know, I, I figure 20 years from now, they're going to have medical halls of shame. You know, they'll have museums where people can go through and the little boys will go, like me, you know, they'll go into their mommies and they'll have the exhibit. The first one will be the AMA-sponsored doctors having advertisements saying smoke cigarettes. And then the next exhibit will be don't breastfeed, that's barbaric, use formula. And, and, you know, they have all these things. And then they'll get to the one where the doctor will be saying, avoid sunshine. I can picture this little boy looking up at his mommy, tugging on his mommy's dress and saying, Mommy, Mommy, were they insane? And the mother looking down and going, Yes, dear. <laughs> you know, this whole advice to avoid sunshine is mm-hmm. crazy. Sunshine is critical for health. Have you ever seen somebody shut in who doesn't get out much? They don't look like the picture of health. No. <clears throat> they look pasty. They look awful. And well, it's really vitamin important. D, vitamin D and EPA, people, the reason why I was asking, they'll think, well, I take fish oil so I don't need my vitamin D, or I take vitamin D so I don't need my fish oil. Mm. Um, you need the essential acids and you need the vitamin D. Now, if you're getting it in the form of cod liver oil, you're going to be getting some of the vitamin D and A because they're fat soluble in there, the A, D, E, and K. But you're going to be getting mostly oil and you're not going to be getting a whole lot of the essential fatty acids. What you will be getting is the urge to gag. Mm. And it's just <laughs> not a good... And whatever Pinson had was dissolved in the cods, you know, the water that the cod was swimming in. Um, and it's got, you know, the concentrated toxins because the liver detoxifies. So I, I much prefer doing a simple omega-3 that's vectorized, which is a vectomega, and then the vitamin powder has uh, a thousand to two thousand units of the vitamin D in it, which is plenty. Mm. And this way, people are covered. And that's the nice thing about the vitamin powders. I don't have to look at well, how about vitamin K and yes, it's in there. You know, how about A? It's in there. You know, the D, it's in there. The B vitamins have had those in there. It's all in the powder. So it just keeps it really simple for people. I mentioned a hormone DHEA in. You know, there are other hormones like estrogen, progesterone, and, and other things that are um, deficient in various, you know, people that, you know, we all have different hormone levels. How important is that in the mind and brain function? Critical. The M in the mind protocol is metabolism, which means hormones. So, and the, the blood testing is dismal mm. for diagnosing hormone problems. Yeah. And do- doctors don't even know where the normal range comes from on the blood test. They don't realize, they, they think that normal means that, you know, a room full of esteemed, elderly, white-haired, wizened physicians got together, you know, and poured over the data and their clinical experience and said, yes, if it's in this range, you don't have to worry about it. And that's how doctors perceive it. It's no such thing. What it is, is they take 100 people, healthy people, they measure the blood test, 
and the 95 in the middle are defined as normal, and the highest lows, 2.5%, are defined as abnormal. So a normal range for shoe sizes, and this is an example I gave Dr. Oz that he likes to use, um, you know, despite the attacks on him by people who are in, are toxic, you know, it's just basically somebody, it's like the mafia, when he goes before Congress, I had the image of the mafia calling Mother Teresa in, you know, and it was like, ugh, made me want to gag, you know, just watching them. Uh, but we have a very dysfunctional government. It's made of very good people in a system that's so faulty as to be toxic. But that's that's another thing. Anyway, um, but he likes to use the analogy that I gave him of the shoe sizes. If I wanted a normal range for shoe sizes, I would take 100 people. I'd check their shoe sizes, and I'd get a normal range of, say, 5 to 13. If I happened to be in a mall, a couple of babies in strollers came by, it might be 4 to 13. So that doesn't mean that if I put you in a size 6 shoe, even though it's totally normal, if I put me in a size 6 shoe and I put you in my 13, the doctor would say, no problem. I couldn't get my toe in the damn thing. Sabrina, I think you'd be clunking in my size 13. <laughs> so, you know, it's the kind of thing that, but the doctor would say there's no problem. And if you say, but I have all the symptoms, they start to look at you like you're crazy. The test is normal. Well, there's a medical term that describes the test. It's called god-awful. It's just nasty in terms of being unreliable. So the test only tells you if you're in the highest or lowest 2% of the population or not. And that's nice. But you have to go by the symptoms to tell if the person needs thyroid hormone. With the adrenal... It'll only tell you if you're in the lowest one out of 100,000. It has to be so low it can kill wow. you. Um, and you keep having drops in blood sugar from low adrenal, and your brain's going to be pretty fuzzy. Um, estrogen, testosterone. So I'm going to optimize all the hormones. Wow. In terms of anything new down the pike in, in Alzheimer's and dementia, uh, we talked about, you know, the hormones and nutrition and whatnot. What do you see on the horizon? Because and another thing I need to ask with that, um, what if you want to prevent or lessen your issues with um, dementia and Alzheimer's? Say it's in your family. Or say it's not in your family because I don't think it matters whether it's in your family or not. If somebody has a family history of Alzheimer's, I'm going to have them take the CuraMed 751 a day and the vitamin powder. I'm going to have them take those two for prevention and probably the Vectomega and one a day of those. And that, that's healthy for pretty much anybody. Um, so for prevention, those are the key things. Uh, if there's a history of dementia but not Alzheimer's, then I would leave off the cure med, even though it's reasonable to keep it uh, even then, uh, but definitely the Vectomega and the vitamin powder. As a person grows older, their nutritional needs, you know, well, they're, they're actually greater. We hear nutritional deficiencies in the elderly and whatnot, and then you also have meal-on-wheel programs and other things that may give, you know, the standard American diet. What would you say to, say, people who aren't, aren't senior citizens yet and we're looking at the current model of medication and medicine and, and treatment. Um, I think we need to be uh, on alert right now, right? Well, first of all, the whole concept of senior citizen, I think, is is fraught with myth. Um, there's this myth that basically goes to something like this. Growing old is not for sissies. 
And it gives people the idea that you're going to be in pain, you're going to be incompetent, incapable, and it, and it tries to scare people to death so that they buy uh, insurance, you know, for wow. uh, for you know extended care facilities, for nursing home insurance, for health insurance. It's meant to scare people, and it's really a myth. Um, the other uh, you know, story that's, uh, that's getting, that people are getting, which is close to the truth, is that 60 is a new 40, 70 is a new 50. And we're seeing and that a lot in the news. We're seeing people who are running marathons, really taking care of themselves, reversing obesity even in, in older ages. Um, it's yeah. astonishing. You can see the, the, a major difference, and it's inspiring. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's just, it's, it's kind of thing is that, you know, Sabrina Maria, can you ask if you had a car? You know, my my car has seventy seven thousand miles on it. It runs like a new car because I give it a tune up every so often. I just take care of it. You know, but say you're sixty years old and you've never had a tune up. And I ask people, when's the last time I had a tune up? Say I had a checkup a year ago. I didn't say a checkup. A checkup is when the doctor looks to see if you have it yet. It being something very expensive to treat. They almost never look for anything that would actually make you feel better or tune you up. And most people have never had a tune-up ever in their life. And there's a nice, simple, you know, ten-part, like just like the ten-part car tune-up, where you optimize sleep and hormones, and you look for infections and inflammation, nutritional support, you know, uh, happiness, sexual function, skin function, pain. You do a basic ten-part tune-up, and people feel dramatically better. Uh, and once, if you simply do that once in a while, this whole concept of elderly goes out the window. And I'm, I'm not going to say people ask how old I am. I say eternal. But if they peg me, then I say, oh, I feel 31. So that's how old I am. Well, I'm glad I you're guess, talking this way. I guess older than that, but... <laughs> well, the current model in which we have, when you mention, you know, 70s, the new 50, and, you know, 60s, the new 40, and other things, you know, ages that I'll, I'll look forward to when I get there. Um, how much of health do you feel outside of, you know, the normal things that we can't control? How much of that is what we've been fed by society and, 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 when, and a state of mind that we've developed through just conventional most, thinking? How much most, is, uh, most, of it, most of it is a medical myth. Mm-hmm. And frankly, this has been a, a rough two years for medical myths. You know, you have the medical myth, x-rays, cholesterol. No, they don't. Salt is bad for you. No, it's not. If you limit salt to the government guidelines, the main benefit is you die a lot younger. So the social security system thanks you. You know, chocolate is bad for you. No, it's a health food. Coffee and tea are bad for you. No, they're not. In moderation, they're good, healthy things. So, you know, there's all these medical myths. And now the biggest medical myth of all is getting busted. And that Mm -hmm. myth is that if something can help you, your doctor knows about it. And that's turning out to be the biggest myth of all, because all the doctor knows about, by and large, is what is very, very profitable for the drug companies or the medical uh, equipment companies, because virtually all of our education, and I'm paraphrasing one of the main uh, medical journal editors, is slick advertising masquerading as science. The doctors Mm -hmm. are not taught what's most effective. They're certainly not taught what's least expensive. They are taught what is most profitable, and they don't even know that all they're getting is a science pitch. It's wrapped up in dubious, I mean a sales pitch. It's wrapped up in dubious science, you know, and data that's been, you know, 
tortured within a half minute of its life. But they don't know that, which means that most of the things that can help you, not only does your doctor know, not know about it, they've been taught that if they haven't been taught about it, it's crackery and they need to protect the patient who is obviously too stupid to have a clue on their own, you know, from from the information. Wow. So, yeah, so there's a lot that can be done. So, yes, that myth is certainly a myth. And my goal for people is to have them die very young, but simply very late in life. <laughs> 